Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. Misinformation is one of the greatest challenges of our time. Right now, we're going through a pandemic and also one of the greatest environmental challenges and clear and trusted information is central to our success in getting to the other side of these. So I decided to create an episode after I heard in the last couple of weeks that the European Commission have launched five major missions. And what is a mission from a European Commission point of view? Well, it's where they want to tackle and put their resources and focus into some of the greatest societal challenges. And that includes the Green Deal, sustainability, the environment, and also cancer. And it got me thinking, well, if these are the big missions that the European Commission wants to achieve, what role then do stakeholders, policymakers, politicians, and the citizen play? And it also got me thinking about the role of fake news and misinformation, because trusted information from leaders and those in power is what we need. But of course, you're always going to have people who are going to interject. So coming up on the show, the extent of misinformation and its impact on society. How to disrupt fake news with a solid plan. The reputational damage and the knock-on effect of a misinformation campaign. The role of technology in battling the infodemic. And I ask some public sector marketing pros what they're doing right now in their communication strategy to disrupt disinformation. In today's column, I want to ask you a question. Are you part of the infodemic problem? Might seem a bit harsh, but here's the thing. Chris Shung, who is Chief of Police at Mountain View Police Department in California at our recent summit said, silence is a response. And silence when there's a raging infodemic happening online on matters that you are responsible for means that you are potentially part of the problem. So my suggestion to you is that you start listening intently to what is being said around topics that matter to you, to your spokesperson, and to your agency. Because if you take the strategic approach that silence is our response, what do you think is happening? Other actors are going to step into that vacuum. They are going to use the opportunity to spread their misinformation. They're motivated, whether it's by money, by, by politics, or by other means they are going to then lead that discussion and bring people with them. Have you ever heard the adage, well, there must be something in it, mud sticks. And that really rings true in the digital age, where there are billions of conversations happening concurrently every minute on the internet, across websites and social and blogs and in emails and in app conversations. And it really is the responsibility of government and public sector agencies to take hold and have maximum share of social voice on topics that you are responsible for. I really don't think it's fair just to blame the bad actors 
Because if you are silent, the public are waiting to hear from somebody. And if it's not you, then you've got to ask yourself, who's going to lead that conversation? Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. So the opposite of fake news is the truth. And the truth matters online. It matters so much because if people aren't accessing the truth, they are making decisions based on voting or based on healthcare or based on other public policies that are impacting them and their families' lives. So you really want to be at the front and center of your truth and be where your citizens are online. Because oftentimes, no matter how bad or how hard the truth is to hear, we'd prefer to hear it from a trusted source. And of course, that must be you. So I put together seven tactics on how you can disrupt misinformation and really step into those voids and start to win the public around and have maximum share of social voice on your truth. So number one, you got to catch the misinformation. And how do you do it in a world where by 10 a.m. in the morning, there are one billion searches on Google and three billion emails sent and five billion social media messages read? Well, what you've got to do is you've got to lean into the technology and really understand what conversations are happening in the moment around your agency, your policies, your politics, and your people. If you haven't switched on social listening, then you should. And it is not Big Brother, and I've already done another episode on that topic, so go back through the archives and pick that one up. Secondly, I would advise you to prepare what I call your lines to take. Your lines to take are the statements that you send out on social that are pre-approved by a management team, by subject matter experts, to dispel the rumor, the myth, and the lies that are circulating. And those lines to take should be quite accessible in terms of language. They should be backed up by evidence, by data, by reports, and you should be linking those sources they should also be creative. So get creative with how that content is presented because you know if there's a rumor mill happening online, the last thing that you want to do on social is to get all academic. So plain speak is really important. Thirdly, I would then say you gotta ramp up the conversation. And I didn't say ramp up your broadcast messages. I said ramp up your conversations. So. Are you engaging with the public? Are you going into, as Samuel Corey and Russell Lollisher said at our summit a number of weeks back, are you diving into those comments and having rich and meaningful conversations with the public? Because if you're ignoring that part of the conversation too, then again, that gives those that are spreading misinformation more opportunity and more fuel for their fire. Number four, it's time to close those information gaps. Your social listening will surface questions that the public have that perhaps your existing website or social media content doesn't answer. So close the gaps on any information that is not clear that the public need to know. If you can't close the gap, make sure that you inform the public that that information is coming soon, if it is, of course. 
Number five, I would say build your authority. So how do you build your authority? You can build it in a number of ways. You can build it with the people that you have internally within your organization. They have been hired because of their specific expertise. You probably have stakeholders there who also have uh, levels of knowledge that would be useful. You've got to leverage those and get more people front off screen explaining and highlighting and pointing out what the public need to know. On that note, and number six, I'm suggesting that you engage your ecosystem. Who is your ecosystem? Your partners, those subject matter experts in other organizations, maybe even their members of the public who are advocating for you. Different faces and different voices will help the public reason and come to their own conclusion. And of course, all of the people that you're putting out are sharing trusted information. And then finally, number seven, share of social voice. Do you have maximum share of social voice when it comes to this topic or issue that is happening online? What that means is, if I dive deep into your data, would I see that you are the most prominent spokesperson on this issue on the internet right now? Because if you're not, you really should be. And if you're not, again, this is where the opportunity arises. So there are seven quick tactics that you can leverage to help disrupt disinformation. And if you have a really great case study, make sure that you let me know, because you know I'm always on the search for them. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's show, I'm treating you to a vox pop of sorts. So I asked a number of public sector marketing pros what they are doing right now in their digital communication strategy to disrupt fake news and misinformation. And here's what they had to say. First of all, let me introduce you to Marisa Ryan. And Marisa is social media manager at the Health Service Executive. That's Ireland's National Health Service. And she's been working in that role for 11 years. And you are a, a seasoned comms and PR practitioner. I think you've uh, worked across press, media, digital, and, and now a social media manager. We've got lots to talk about, Marisa, lots and lots to talk about. But we're going to start, and I want you to take us back to the 1st of February 2020. Set the scene. Uh, the 1st of February 2020, I suppose it was, it was talks of COVID-19, but not quite there. I was flying back into the country. I had just been skiing. And I suppose the week before I flew out and there was little things in the airport saying about COVID-19 was there, but there was a different story on the way back. There was lots more posters in the place and that. Um, when I arrived back in, I had seen that my colleagues had done a live stream of a briefing during the week that mentioned it and concerns around it. And I knew that I had to get straight back into work. So on Saturday evening, we went straight into looking at content calendars and I feel like we haven't stopped since. <laughs> so we've been and working it's interesting, on it since. I, I asked you earlier, I said, is, 
are you still as busy? And your answer said to me, I don't know, maybe we just got used to it. But let's go from the 1st of February to the 14th of March 2020. Yeah, so at that stage we had, uh, had a couple of announcements from um, the Taoiseach, Leah Radker at the time, um, given that. And we had, we had been talking on social media as well as um, advertising around COVID-19 and we had our, our first case and death in Ireland at the time. Um, we had been sent home to work and uh, I think the whole country had been working from home possibly at that stage. And the 14th of March was a Saturday and we use Agora Pulse. I'm sure there's lots of people here today that use that. And I did what I normally do on a Saturday morning, clicked into it to see what was happening and could see we had a very large number of queries already in at that stage, whatever time it was. So I got up, started doing it, started working away. And a Saturday, like, I know social isn't a Monday to Friday, but we're all hired as Monday to Fridays. And obviously I would be around, but a number of my team just came online to help out that day. And that day we dealt with 990 queries through Twitter alone. Um, people were getting really concerned about it, really wondering if they had it, they felt they had symptoms and that. But this was the early stages of the pandemic and we were only testing people who had come back from some parts of China or who possibly had met somebody with the virus. Um, and the following day, um, things changed and you could contact your GP and your GP could arrange a test if they felt that you were you possibly needed a test so it kind of pretty much changed overnight and we had a huge following on social media that day um, a huge hits to our website and people were really dying to get information on this new virus that had arrived into the country and I suppose that was the turning point of the busyness that was to come over the next few months. So you describe it as the busiest day in the, the social media teams kind of from then to now. But you also said something to me earlier in our, our earlier chat and you said, and it's really poignant and I think it's really important to say it, that you said, we knew. So you're in the front line of the pandemic in Ireland's National Health Service and you're listening to the public. You know, you're not the journalist, you're hearing from them directly. And what you said to me is, people wanted to do the right thing yeah. that that for me is like wow you were listening and you were hearing what happened then i guess you know we were then you were then engaged in behavior change right yeah so we were you know at that stage we were trying to get people to stop the spread uh, to stop the virus spreading further so we all know which is kind of normal to us now so at that stage we were getting people to wash their hands use hand sanitizer it, masks hadn't come in to place at that stage but social distancing was coming into it and we spent the next number of months and have done continuously doing behavior behavior change for people like so it's keep your distance wear a face covering um keep your hands clean and that so it was constant messaging like that over uh, along the way and those were our popular most popular posts on social media for the year for last year can't get into the vaccine just yet but they were the most people were really interested in that content and they really wanted it and people really stuck to it like you can see it like social distancing is like look at us now we're <laughs> social distance here you can't go anywhere without seeing somebody wearing a face covering and we were involved in behavior change and pre-vaccine, we have to remember we're still pre-vaccine here. And I always talk about the, the antidote 
to the virus was great digital communications because we needed the public to trust our public health leaders and our governments. Trust was key for you guys. Trust was key and that date of the 14th of March we could see it. The huge following that we gained that day, the huge traffic to our website, people in Ireland were coming to the trusted sources of information, further information in relation to the pandemic. And they continue to stay. Um, we saw big increases that day. We got increases th throughout the year. We gained huge following towards the end, or, or continue to do so. And our website has remained the trusted source of information. And maybe we, Niall, we can go to some, some stats so we, that we show our viewers um, the level of stats. Um, so let's have a look at your social media communications. Talk us through those. Yeah, so we would obviously did. We found that nothing else worked last year. No, no, no other content worked. Everybody really wanted COVID-19 content. So you can see the stats there. 267 million impressions, 1.6 million clicks to the website or clicks on a video or whatever. We did 1,200 tweets in relation to COVID-19. This one is quite, we wouldn't have ever thought we would have gotten busier than this, but you'll see later we did. We dealt with 50,000 queries in 2020 compared to 1,900 in 2019. Um, so like people were coming to us all the time looking for our information and our team adapted to respond to those queries. We, we were um, a customer service channel as well as a social media channel to get information to the public. We ran 251 posts on Facebook and 325 ads on all the different platforms that we had. That was just COVID-19, that was 2020 communications. And so during that phase, we were then experiencing peaks and troughs, but a lot of peaks and a lot of lockdown. So the public were experiencing, you know, changing communications, you know, we started off with one variant, then we had another variant. Um, how did you manage through that time? So I suppose we, you know, the way you think you're getting a handle of it, a handle on it and things, the country started to open up and then new restrictions started to come in and it was a tough time. And I suppose we have to remember, we had a team, that everyone was working from home. We were used to working right beside each other in an office setting. And now we were all working from home separately to each other. And we kind of had to check in with each other all the time. And I have to say, the communications team and the HSE are the most wonderful people. Like, I think I probably talked more <laughs> to people than I would have in an office. But like, that was so important to us, even though we were working quite a bit. Now, I do think that we did consume a huge amount of COVID information last year because, you know, there was times that we'd spend all day working on it. We'd turn on the briefings in the, either, in the evening. We'd watch all the news that was going just to keep up to date because of the amount of queries we were getting every single day. We wanted to be on top of the news or the information so we could give the correct information to the public as they, wish, as they looked for it. And how many is in your team? So up to last year, the end of last year, we had five. We had four at the start of the pandemic. Um, one of the team members came back from maternity leave and we're down to seven, or we're up to seven now. We got additional staff this year uh, to help with vaccine communications. But seven people running this Goliath that is social comms in a pandemic. I mean, the output is amazing. Um, then there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, right? Towards the end of 2020. Yes, uh, vaccines had arrived into Ireland and it was such a wonderful time. I think it was great hope that Ireland needed and I suppose we had a bit of work and we'll talk about misinformation a little bit. We were afraid of, you know, uptake not being where it is and we were concerned about it, but 
the day we'll say the vaccines arrived into Ireland, I remember putting a post on social media about the fridges and showing that, and it was almost our top performing post ever. <laughs> People saw it as a light of hope. And I think everybody will remember the first person that was vaccinated in Ireland, Annie, that that it blew up on social media and we got or we had an organic reach on a Facebook post post of over a million that day. Like it was incredible. People well, were 20 percent so of the population. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of of vaccines and worrying about the uptake, you know, I mentioned you as a seasoned comm professional and you've been working in the HSE for over a decade, but you've had experience on the front line of the HPV campaign. Yes. Do you want to just let people know a little bit about that? Yeah, so the HPV campaign, we had that a number of years ago and it was a high uptake and um, an anti-HPV campaign took over our campaign and the uptake rate dropped quite dramatically and we worked quite hard in the social side of it and a lot of other communications like the advertising and the press side of things and we did a u-turn in relation to it so we turned it went from 50 percent back up to 80 percent at the most recent count so we have done a lot on vaccine communications over the years and kind of understand it we're going to go to um, California right now, and we're going to go to Chris Shung, who is police chief at Mountain View Police Department. Um, I'm sure it's a, a sunnier day where you are, Chris. Uh, Chris is the 11th police chief of the Mountain View Police Department, located in Silicon Valley, California. For more than 26 years, he has served the Mountain View community as the department's leader. He's passionate about maintaining the MVPD's role as a progressive law enforcement organization in the 21st century. He's an internationally recognized speaker and author on the topics of digital communication strategy, crisis communications management, and leadership in branding. In his time with Mountain View PD, Chris has held a variety of investigative, tactical, and leadership roles, serving in every division in the organization. He's a graduate of the Harvard Kennedy School of Government Senior Executives in state and local government program, and has a master's degree in e-business management from the Notre Dame de Mur in Belmont, California. And I actually have met Chris. We met over in California, maybe it's five or six years ago, um, and I did sign my book for him, um, my first book on, on policing and social media, but I, like all the speakers here, I watch from afar. I watch Chris's work from afar, and you know he's going to talk about when crisis strikes, how you can successfully navigate your agency's narrative in the digital age, because there are still some agencies who put fear uh, before taking action. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us, and I know it's early morning with you, but please take to our virtual stage. Well, good morning from uh, sunny California and Silicon Valley to, to my uh, virtual audience. And it's probably more applica applicable to say good afternoon or good evening to, to the crowd. Um, it's an honor to be here this morning to share with you a little bit um, on our perspectives. Um, here in Silicon Valley, uh, in just my own backyard, we uh, the, the jurisdiction that I, um, that I lead and patrol and keep safe uh, happens to have some companies that some of you might have heard of. Uh, that might be Google, which is down the street. Facebook has a couple offices here in town. Town. Twitter is about a half hour north of us, um, and LinkedIn is down the street as well. So in this digital age, um, our agency has, has uh, in a sense, grown up with the technology um, and learned um, how to be a little bit different in the public sector. Um, and the, the topic today I really want to focus on is 
giving you and your agency some awareness and some maybe a different perspective and a paradigm shift on how you look at crises. Um, I like to use this quote here from Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, I think many of you are likely very familiar with him, a leader in the social media leadership space. He talks about making business decisions based on your point of view of how the world should be is the quickest way to go out of business. And I like to do a little tweak for, um, for communications folks and say that making technology or communications decisions on how you deploy and use social um, based on your own point of view or comfort level is a very quick way to potentially uh, become irrelevant to your audience. And I say this most of the times to CEOs or, or leads or administrators, because sometimes it's those positions who have a, a comfort level that may be not as um, uh, open to technology as maybe some of you in the audience. But um, as you all very well know, this space of technology is, is quickly evolving. I mean, the, how you use the platform last year likely has evolved uh, from this year. So it's always good to stay relevant and stay aware of the changes that each platform um, involves. The other thing to consider is, um, you know, we're talking about crisis today, but crisis and engagement are two sides of the same coin. Um, when you talk about um, engagement, it's really important to have the good content, the good quality uh, posts that allow you to create your audience. Because if you don't do that and you have a dormant site, um, when crisis comes, and we all know that crisis will absolutely come, um, you will not have the audience that you thought you had. So it's important to use um, uh, content prior to any sort of crisis as your uh, opportunity to engage and interact. And I think most of you know the vast majority of social platforms these days will in real time use an algorithm to gauge your um, interaction with your followers. Just take Facebook, for example. Uh, Facebook knows that, uh, you know, how often you might comment back, how long it takes you, what type of content you put out. If you put out boring content, um, that's you know, has no engaging photos or videos versus you're just a rock star and anyone who asks a question on your social presence on your platform gets an almost almost immediate answer. Those things matter because when crisis comes, uh, you want to be there and you want to have a voice uh, because we all know that uh, to be in the driver's seat of information is extremely important. And in today's uh, day and age of crisis, in general, you will often see people who are uh, live tweeting or posting at the scene. Or if uh, you're, you know, many of you are in the private sector, if there is news breaking, um, oftentimes it, uh, journalists or, or media gets a hold of that and runs with the story, uh, you lose the narrative and you will then spend more time um, dealing with misinformation and rumor control as opposed to you being in the driver's seat of information. Um, and when you flip that coin and you, it's, it's time to transition into the crisis communication side, it's really important that, and I'll discuss a couple different steps and key takeaways to remember um, when that crisis comes. Um, one thing I, I want to kind of call out to everybody here is it's important to identify the digital community you want and use the platforms as tools to build it, not the other way around. Uh, I think if you sit here and you just watch the, the how the social media world has grown in the last 10 years, one platform after another comes out. Um, and you always have to make the decision as a communications manager, do I jump in? Do I get on TikTok? Do I get on Snapchat? Um, and oftentimes you, you begin to do this, this rat race of trying to put out more content on more platforms. 
my, my thing to you all is take a step back and think, what's the community you want? What's your sweet spot, your product, your service that you provide to your followers and where are they? It's important to understand that, you know, each of these platforms has unique nuanced differences with different groups that follow and engage with them. So you could be in an industry that has nothing to do with TikTok and you should, you need to know that. But the bigger takeaway in all of this is that know who you are, know what your voice is, know what your, your company, your government sector, whatever it is, you need to know who that is first and then look to the tools to do what you need to get your strategy through on that way, as opposed to the other way around, which is, oh, here's the latest social platform. I need to get on there and, and, and just, you know, um, kind of willy nilly put stuff out there. Want to talk a little bit about the difference between an issue and a crisis. So um, I don't know if any of you have heard this. This is a book I highly, highly recommend. Melissa Agnes is a, a, an internationally recognized speaker on the topic of crisis management. She's done a, a great TED talk as well on this topic. And in her book, Crisis Ready, she talks about the difference between an issue and a crisis. As communications managers, I think you're all very much aware um, of dealing with issues day to day. Um, there's, it's, it's not a day in social media management if you're not dealing with something going off. And that's defined by Melissa as a negative event or situation that doesn't stop business as usual or threaten long-term negative impact. But it's important to realize that if you don't manage an issue, it can very easily turn into a crisis. Um, and here's where I'll take a step back. I, I know that most of the audience, you are likely all in the role of a, a communications or social media manager. So I'm probably preaching to the choir on this point. But um, in many organizations, and in my, yours might be one of them, the CEO or the C-suite or those in charge may not uh, empower uh, the people in the communications positions to actually deal with an issue, to find resolution for customers. And that can be a huge challenge because we all know that time in the social media world is hyper accelerated. So if you can't deal with an issue in the right amount of time and you have to spend all this time getting approval um, through your organization chart, um, maybe perhaps to, to an admin or a leader who doesn't necessarily buy into this approach, it can be extremely challenging, which is why um, might be a good idea to drop this book on, on their desk and to kind of understand that in this world that we live in now, news breaks on social. Um, and those of you on the front lines have the unique ability to manage that crisis and to, to deal with it. So speaking of crises, how do we define that? Um, it's an event that'll stop business as usual to some extent, and it's gonna require immediate attention and guidance from leadership. And I like to um, throw out this challenge to a lot of leaders is take out a stopwatch and do a tabletop ex exercise with your leadership team and create whatever crisis you want, but start that stopwatch and start to measure how much time passes before the uh, public information officer or the person in charge of communications is authorized to put out a statement. Um, and if that's in the 10, 15, 20 minutes, that's phenomenal. That's great. If you're looking at hours and hours, that's a significant issue because in that time, very likely whatever that issue or that crisis is, is likely growing exponentially online 
And the longer you go, the harder it is to, to rein that in. So it's, it's certainly a challenge that I think everyone as a leader needs to understand. And especially those of us who are on the, uh, given the responsibility on the front lines to managing this and to, to get the agency's narrative through all the different noise that's going on. Uh, if you take the COVID-19 crisis, for example, there was so much noise last year and the year before, especially here in the United States with a lot of misinformation, it's very difficult to rise above the noise. So it's so important to empower those who are given these roles in communications to really get the message out and to trust those in this role uh, with the, what they know how to do best, which is communicate and tell a story and make it an impression. Because we all know that it's not what our followers, um, you know, it's not what you say, it's what they hear. And sometimes that nuanced difference can make all the difference in the world. Um, real important that during a crisis, there's a couple key factors to really think about. And that's, I've already kind of talked about the timeliness, right? When you want to be able to get onto a crisis, ideally within the first half hour, um, with potentially, you know, uh, an authorization for the communications person to just talk about the incident. There's also something that's really important called cadence. You don't want to put your first, um, you know, your first statement out and then an hour or two goes by and there's just silence. Meanwhile, online, everyone's asking questions. The media is reporting things, but, you know, in the media, after about 10, 20 minutes, you'll notice they'll start repeating the news. And if there's no new news, they're going to go find someone who's willing to go on camera or talk about something, which could be problematic if that someone is not you or your company. There's also, um, you know, if you have to deal with a negative event, let's say it's a high profile um, event, you know, someone uh, gets charged with something criminally or it's a, it's a scandal. A news cycle, at least here in the United States, um, typically, you know, for us, if you are in the news for one day, not a big deal. If you are in the news for four to five days, that is a bad thing. And a lot of times in a crisis, we often try to just think, well, what if we don't say anything? Maybe it'll pass. But I think we all know well enough that um, it's best to get all the ugly stuff out early. Whatever you have, put it out there. If you know you're going to be news, get all the ugly stuff out early um, and make it a one-day story. And then the news goes on, the world goes on, and then it's done with. What you don't want is something that just stays there over and over and becomes news one day after another. Another topic is uh, holding statements. You know, when at the onset of a crisis, it's very, very difficult to know all of the information. In fact, most of what you know at the beginning of the crisis will likely change um, in the coming hours and days. So holding statements are just something that you can do on social media, which is just like, um, from your brand identity, your voice, and just saying, we're aware of whatever this situation is. This is what we know at the time. And then go ahead and correct yourself, you know, in the subsequent posts or tweets. That's completely okay. What you're doing is you're taking your audience along for the ride. Better to have them along for that ride than for them to feel disenfranchised or, or just isolated from any information you might be putting out. And I'll speak a little bit on the, the idea of press conferences. I think they're, you know, they're, they're fine, but in some organizations, um, the, the comfort zone is to the very first time information comes out is in a press conference. And that can be problematic in the digital world that we live in. Because if you have to ask yourself, how long does a press conference take to set up? My guess is two to four hours for more, most organizations. Two to four hours is way too long for any uh, brand 
to get the first bit of information out. So the preferred method is actually using social media and just putting out your holding statements, putting out the cadence of information as you receive it, as you can put it out and even correcting yourself. And the nice thing is, is in the backdrop, you can still be planning for your press conference. And when that time comes, it's either you or your agency lead who then you can take all the posts that you've put out and they can serve as talking points. Um, your, your rough outline is actually there already. And when you get in front of the microphone and you turn on that camera for the press conference, you're basically rehashing and providing the media um, talking points and some video role just so that they can see and do their reporting. And um, you're basically having them become your, your bullhorn, your speaker to magnify your talking points and, and your information, which is really key because if you're not doing that, someone else is doing it for you. And that can be extremely problematic as well. So as we kind of wrap up this um, this keynote here, you know, some of the takeaways I want you to kind of think about is it's difficult, especially in a crisis, but there's a silent majority out there that trusts the voice and the brand that you've built, right? Through all the engagement that you've done, you've built trust and, and that trust is a bank, right? And when you're putting information out, you're either going to grow that trust bank or it's gonna, you're going to take a withdrawal from that trust bank. But always remember that there's that silent majority that, that trusts you because you've spent the time to invest in this community. The tone matters, right? Um, when you are on the engagement side, your voice and tone as, a, as an entity, as an online brand is, is unique in certain ways. It's who you are. But when there's a crisis, you have to, um, in a sense, switch. It's still the same voice but the tone changes a little bit because now you're more authoritative. You are in control. You are taking charge of whatever the situation is. Um, and, but you also want to have tones of transparency, especially if it's a negative event that you're dealing with. Um, and again, bringing people along for the ride. Um, I, I mentioned it before, getting through the news cycle, right? Don't try to avoid it because avoiding it can only cause uh, more issues because in the end, the truth comes out anyway, right? Everything comes out in the end and you don't want the story about your brand or your government agency to be that um, you were trying to hide things, right? So put it out there, get it, get, you know, get the information out as quickly as possible. Lastly, silence is a response. Um, and it's a bad one, right? We often talk about, well, let's just not say anything. Well, not saying anything is also saying something and it's saying something extremely loud. It's that you're not in control. You um, are, are not having the initiative to either take care or, or address the crises at hand. So, you know, that's something I like to talk to uh, CEOs about is, look, silence is a response. You have to consider it that way. So is that really the message that you want coming across? Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. Have you heard about our new social media boot camp? So these are five live workshops covering five social networks where I take you through the how-to of the trends and the tactics that are working right now on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and TikTok. And each workshop comes with an individual mini social media plan for that channel. So if you want to master your skills on these social networks before we get into 2022, go ahead and jump over to our website, publicsectormarketingpros.com to find out more. As always, I've got some free resources to supplement the learning in this podcast. 
If you haven't already, go ahead and download our new free ebook, Digital Marketing in the Public Sector. You can find it at publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash digital marketing. And when you do download it, you're going to be prompted and invited to book a 30-minute slot in my calendar. I have open two hours every afternoon for these calls between now and the end of the year. So make sure that you get your slot. And we'll talk about digital marketing in the public sector and also how you want to progress your career by leaning into those skills. Also to help your skills, don't forget that we do have the Summit On Demand ticket. Two days from public sector marketing pros and subject matter experts taking us through what communications is like in a post-COVID world. So you can get your on-demand ticket at our website. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. I always appreciate the feedback. And if you haven't already, share with a public sector pro you know. And don't forget to rate and review and to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform.